Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. What do you get when you mix a burnout doc with a burnout witch? A unique blend of science and sorcery might be the perfect remedy for those who are spellbound by their work to the point of exhaustion. This is the Decode Your Burnout podcast. I am Dr. Sharon Grossman, the burnout doc, and I am joined by Dr. Eliza Collins, a psychedelic facilitator and burnout expert professionally known as the burnout witch. She works both one-on-one and with groups to help individuals get out of survival mode, optimize their health, and live with a greater sense of ease and flow. She uses her combined backgrounds in both Eastern and biomedicines, including psychedelic plant medicine, functional medicine, acupuncture, and Chinese herbal medicine, hypnosis, and more to approach healing from a perspective that seeks to fully integrate the mind, body, and spirit. After experiencing and recovering from burnout, she made it her mission to help others identify negative coping mechanisms, explore their boundaries, and bring a sense of balance to their bodies and brains. She's published articles on Medium, Thrive Global, and Bustle. When she's not working with clients, she's consuming all forms of music. I know what you were thinking when I said consuming, but no. (laughs) Music, reading, rock climbing, and having solo dance parties with her cats. Eliza, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's great to be here. Wow, what an introduction. And you have so much to tell us and we have so much to learn from you. I'm so excited to dive in. But I know you've got this really juicy burnout story that brought you to this place. Let's start with that. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, so my burnout story kind of goes all the way back. My origin story, my Marvel origin story starts in 1983. My biological mom passed away when I was 13 months old. And that kind of trauma, any kind of trauma obviously impacts us and how we develop and how our coping mechanisms shape us throughout the course of our lives. So for me, that loss, that sort of abandonment, even though I wasn't consciously aware of it because I was so young, I wasn't making memories of it. I kind of internalized that I was on my own. So that made me very much an overachiever. I became a perfectionist Mm. because losing someone at that age or having that disconnect, I shouldn't say, because it's not just, you know, a death that does that, the loss of a parent or loss of that connection. It makes you feel like you have to do things to be worthy of love, which was not a message that I got from my family that raised me. That was something that was internalized. And so I was kind of built as a young kid to be an overachiever and a perfectionist and 
to look to the world around me and try and manage the emotions of others. So I was putting Mm. a lot of energy out into the world and also trying to manage my own state. So doing a lot of emotional labor. And as a young person, when you're in, you know, juniors to high school, middle school, high school, things like that, that kind of overachieving ambition is considered a good thing. You, you're a hard worker, you get A's, you want to be the best, you put a lot of effort in. Like Those are values, particularly in American culture, that we value very highly. We hold in very high esteem. So that worked really well for me when I was in that container and I was living with my parents and I didn't have rent or pay taxes and all of these other things that come along with adult life. So I kind of waywardly made my way through my 20s. And in my late 20s, I decided what I wanted to be when I grew up, which was an acupuncturist. So I Mm -hmm. went to graduate school. And those coping mechanisms and those strategies served me well again. I made the dean's list almost every semester. I was a virtually straight-A student in most of my classes. And I got very good grades. And I was committed to becoming the best acupuncturist that I could be. And then I got thrown out into the world where I started my business. And in my business, I wasn't just an acupuncturist. I was an insurance biller. I was a receptionist. I was the website developer. I was doing all of these things. And those coping mechanisms and those tendencies, that perfectionism and that not enoughness wasn't just showing up as an acupuncturist. It was showing up everywhere in my life. And so I had to do everything and all of it had to be perfect. And it brought a lot of fear with that. It kept me from taking some risks that I think would have been useful. It really kept me from asking for help. And so in 2019, I got to a point where it was unsustainable for me, not just to run my business like that, but to live like that. And I reached out to a friend and colleague because I was struggling in my business, an organization that I had contracted with that was about half of my referral source restructured internally. So for a period of time, they weren't referring out and that gutted my business by about 50%. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out like, oh my God, am I gonna have to close my business and move back in with my parents with like four cats and all of this stuff? And I reached out to a friend and I said, hey, you built really successful businesses in places that you relocated to with no other connection, which is what I had done when I moved to Providence where I am now. How did you do that? And she said, oh, oh, I burned out doing that twice and you're burnt out. And so I'm not going to help you run your business. I'm going to help you deal with your burnout. And so we did for about a year. We focused almost exclusively on that. And it did help me restructure my business in a way that was more in alignment. And I still do most of the work, but I do outsource various things. And so that really helped me with my burnout. And in the process of doing that, I had done therapy on and off for 20 years to deal with anxiety and depression and all of the stuff that came from that childhood trauma. I started to realize that even though I was aware of some of my coping mechanisms, sometimes in very like intense emotional situations, they still wouldn't work. And I don't really get a lot of like panic attacks, but I would get them on occasion. And I got to a point where I could tell you during a panic attack, physiologically, what was happening to me during the panic attack. So I could be like borderline hyperventilating, being like, it's okay, it's just cortisol and a lot of like adrenaline right now. And then, but I couldn't like breathing techniques weren't helping. EFT tapping wasn't helping. I just sort of was still vibrating in this way that wasn't sustainable. And I realized that had to do with some of that pre-verbal trauma, that this was stuff that I didn't have words for when it happened. And I don't have ways to connect my brain and my body. That somatic disconnection was still there. 
And I've worked with veterans on and off for about 10 years as an independent contractor for the VA, the Veterans Affairs Association. And some of them had utilized psychedelics for PTSD. And I realized that that's what I had throughout the course of my life. It had woven together to end up being this kind of complex PTSD that talk therapy wasn't getting to. So I found a specialist and spent about five months, you know, sort of talking and preparing and teasing out what I really wanted to get out of a psychedelic experience. And then I had my psychedelic experience. And for the first time in my life, I was fully embodied. I could identify where emotions were in my body and what they were. And I'm psychedelic experiences on a large dose level. There's not a lot of control. I saw something somewhere recently that somebody said, you take LSD, mushrooms take you. And I was utilizing psychedelic mushrooms. And so I had that large trip experience and it was really great. But for people who have dealt with burnout, as I'm sure you know, being thrust into situations where you don't have a lot of control or you can't manage, taking a big chunk of something is not always the best idea. So after that, I decided that I was going to explore my relationship with the mushroom compound through microdosing because I have a lot of respect for that. And realized that even though I went about a large trip intentionally, it was better for me to not overstimulate my system. And so that's how I got into the microdosing sphere and utilizing microdosing with very intentional and very conscious internal work during a microdosing sequence or series to make additional changes. And that has been absolutely life changing. So that got me to where I am today. Okay, so let's back up. (laughs) Yeah, there is a lot in there. Thank you for sharing that because I think there are probably a lot of people listening to this who can identify with a version of your origin story and how that propelled them to be the person that they are today in the way that they engage with their work. And so in the context of our platform and how we talk about it here, I'd like to say that, you know, you've kind of fit the mold of both the thinker and the doer. So the thinker is the person that's kind of very much in their head. They experience a lot of anxiety and the perfectionism just fits beautifully into that framework. Right. Um, And that creates a lot of internal pressure to do the work in a certain way. But as a doer, it's also that pressure to always be doing something, achieving, accomplishing, because that's how I earn love in the world. Right. And I often talk about it more in the sense of like Mm self-worth, but I think there's more to it than that. I think it's about, proving something and it's about attaining some needs right like getting your needs met through that accomplishment so that i think is very universal and a lot of people can probably relate to that but your journey and where that took you is not something that most people go down so this is really beautiful i think introduces people to a new option now As I've been looking into the psychedelic thing, there is kind of like that divide between like taking those large doses and having this very intense experience and then the people who are more into the microdosing piece of things. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you're more the expert in this field, but my understanding and and I love how you framed it about like, this is overwhelming the system. And maybe if you're already burned out, that's not what you need. And I think there's probably legitimacy to that. But my understanding from the little I know is that when you're doing those big trips, that's where the research has shown people can, as you said, like for the first time, connect 
mind and body or for the first time overcome their conscious mind which is constantly filling them with all the self-doubt and the self-criticism and the self-hate and all the stories and they're just like in their essence some people like overcome their trauma in that one session right like so it's a very big movement if you will psychologically whereas with the microdosing, it's the kind of thing if i understand correctly that you have to keep coming back to kind of like a therapy session so can you speak to that a little bit yeah so as you said, most of the research that we have is around large dosing, almost all of it. There isn't a ton of publicized research about microdosing. What those large studies, larger studies have found with those large dose trips is that it's also not just taking the substance and having this big experience and feeling better. In most cases, there is preparation and integration work that happens. So if it's a 10 session series, you may have three or four sessions of preparation, like I did with my coach, I did that for four or five months of figuring out sort of what you want out of the experience or what you hope for, just getting some kind of structure. Because again, a psychedelic takes you, you don't drive the car necessarily to a certain point, having that psychedelic experience, and then talking to somebody and integrating what happened. That's a really important piece of that because it can bring up trauma and it can bring up latent information. You know, I joke around that psychedelics go into the dusty corner of the attic in our brain and take the boxes that we've taped up and shoved there and rip them open and be like, what's in here? So it's really useful to do that preparation and integration work. That's still a critical part of that large dose trip. And a lot of those research studies, they're following up with people six weeks, six months, a year later. So I haven't seen any recently, which does not mean that they don't exist. They're following up with people two years, five years, 10 years. A lot of this research is still fairly new, but it is very promising. With that large dose trip, you're creating a lot of neuroplasticity in the brain all at once. And you're doing that in kind of a very large volume. So that's where some of those changes come up. The ability to connect the brain and the body, the way that we talked about psychedelics, I'll talk about mushrooms specifically because that's what I do. So psilocybin, which is the compound in psychedelic mushrooms, it bridges the gap between parts of the brain that don't normally talk. So when people are on a large dose trip and they say that they can taste colors or they can see music, that's why. That's because the visual, auditory, gustatory parts of the brain are talking. Those don't normally overlap. And so when we can feel the brain and the body reconnecting, as was my experience, that's because parts of the brain that weren't really connecting particularly well are now talking to each other. And that connection can persist with that integration work. So for people who have taken a large dose trip and not done that, they may not have had a bad trip. They just didn't kind of deal with anything that came up during the experience. They may notice that those effects kind of go away. So it's just a matter of how you integrate the experience afterwards. With microdosing, because you are taking such a low dose, usually microdosing what we call schedules or series or protocols are anywhere from four to eight weeks. And you may take a microdose, and I'll explain the difference between a large dose and a microdose in a minute. You may take that anywhere from two to five times a week for four to eight weeks doing that internal work. And then you'll take a break because you don't want your body to get used to it so much that it no longer reaches that state of neuroplasticity in your brain. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for the explanation between the two. The way I think about this piece that you're referring to, it's not just 
the substance that you're taking, but it's all the psychological work around it, right? The preparation and like somebody sitting with you in the room as you're going through your trip and guiding you and making sure you're okay. And then everything that happens after the trip where they're following up with you and they're making sure like you're connecting in the ways that you want to connect. I think of that as kind of like somebody who wants to achieve a goal. Mm hmm. If you are not intentional, you can sit at your desk and do busy work for the rest of time and just have very little to show for your efforts. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to sit down. We're going to figure out exactly what do you want to accomplish? What's kind of like the milestones to get there? And then make sure that you're sitting down at your desk and you're focused. You know exactly what to do to get to that finish line. And I think it's the same thing with the psychedelic trip is like, what do there's so many boxes in that attic which one do you want to really unleash through this trip right and why and where do you think it's going to take you and let's talk about like how are you feeling as you're going through it and what did you learn and how are you now changing the way that you're interacting with the world and what beliefs came up for you that now you're like maybe change the story that you were telling yourself i'm actually curious so let's bring this back to you so you've had both the macro and the micro experiences and you started this journey as somebody who felt abandoned mm -hmm. and therefore created a whole narrative around, I have to do X in order to get love. I have to manage not just my emotions, but everybody else's, and I have to be perfect. So are you on the other side of it? And what does it look like today, having done what you've done to get here? So am I on the other side of it? Yes. And I am on the next side of it. Like that abandonment wound is a core wound and it is pre-verbal. And so that runs really, really deep. And so the cognitive behavioral and internal family system and somatic work that I did before my trip, all of that helped me along that path. My large trip helped me more. Microdosing has helped me immensely in ways that my large dose didn't, even though my large dose was very, very useful. And so it is still something that I interact with regularly, but I'm able to do it most of the time in a much more observational way, I think, and in a way that allows me to think about it. I always say I can think about it three-dimensionally now. And I can start to understand what that wound is because for me, that abandonment wound, I was talking to one of my therapists. I have several. I like them. I collect them. We work on different things. So they have different specialties. But one of them this this past week was talking about like, you need to go inside and you need to shore yourself up and you need to find that internal strength. And I got so irritated because I was like, I need you to understand where I'm coming from. I've spent my whole life doing that. And what I need right now is somebody else to just kind of prop me up a little bit until I can get on solid footing and self-regulate. So what I need isn't codependence, but I need some co-regulation just to the point that I can get to where I can self-regulate better. I need mm -hmm. community. And so when the person said, go inside and find what you need, like listen to that still small voice, that still small voice said, I need community. I need people. I need support. And I fought that for, I don't know, eight to 10 hours because I was trying to listen to what this person had told me. And so I ended up reaching out to that therapist and said, I appreciate what you were doing and I get where you were coming from, but that was really bad advice 
for me in that moment might not have been bad advice at different points in time based on my core wound and the way that I already function in the world as somebody who shores myself up and goes in and listens to that still internal voice. That same voice that was accurate and representative was telling me to reach out. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, it's I, almost like that advice perpetuated your right. original coping mechanism of being self-reliant. Right. And so Friday was a really bad day, but I was able to, again, reach out to my community and got a little bit of that support, which took about 45 minutes of just talking and being vulnerable and being held and being seen by the person that I was talking to. I was like, okay, all right, where did this come from? Why was that so triggering for me? I can think around it better. I can explain myself better. And I'm more likely to show up and say, this hurt me. And I understand that wasn't your intention, but it wasn't good for me. I can be more resilient Mm -hmm. and more communicative and stand in a vulnerable place and not be worried about what's going to come back at me. Because that also could have been taken very personally by the other person is saying, you're doing a bad job, which it was not that person is also a very self-reflective person and is able to take that in process and have a good conversation. But that's the type of thing that I would have really, really struggled to do prior to all of this, because I would have been so overwhelmed by the experience that I couldn't think around it, you know, above it, below it, outside it. So giving myself the opportunity to have the experience and then process the experience, Mm -hmm. that's been huge in terms of what psychedelics have given me. And that's something that I would say more than my large dose trip, that's what microdosing gave me. Because in the process of microdosing, I'm taking a very small amount and then I'm actively practicing that while I'm on a microdosing protocol. And so the neuroplasticity that comes with microdosing, even though I'm not hallucinating, is still a really important window of opportunity to practice those skills in a more low pressure way so that when it comes out like it did this weekend, it functions the way that it's supposed to. Okay, so if... Somebody who's listening to this has trauma. In your case, it was pre-verbal, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, there's something right. that's kind of like subconscious and it's driving all your behaviors and your belief systems, et cetera. And they've burned out because, you know, whether they're trying to perfect or they're people pleasing or they're just like that workaholic who's trying to achieve everything for whatever reason, they've burned out. By the way, I don't mean to imply that burnout doesn't happen for external reasons. We're just here to look at the things that you have control over. But I do believe that in addition to all of our external circumstances that can be stressful, I think that we bring a lot to the table. And those are the things that, as I said, we do have control over. So that's what I focus on. Mm -hmm. For those folks, what is possible knowing what you know about the research around psychedelics, whether it's those macro or micro trips that are available for folks under certain circumstances and what is the protocol? Cause I know there's still some legality issues around this. So what is actually available today for folks? That's a really good question because it, there's not like one simple answer. So at least in the U S um, which is where we're based, it varies state by state. So like California, literally, I think this week, last week, this week, just decriminalized, like passed legislation to decriminalize, possibly legalize. I can't remember which language it was because I've been tracking a lot of legislation lately. So that just needs to be signed into law by the governor and it will be available for people there. I think both therapeutically and recreationally. In my state of Rhode Island, we've passed legislation in the House, but not the Senate. 
And so that has to get through the Senate before it can make it to our higher level. In other places, there are certain like municipalities. So Cambridge and Salem in Massachusetts have decriminalized it, which means it's not a priority. The police aren't going to really make a big deal out of it, but it's not technically legalized. And so there's a really kind of complicated landscape right now. And part of why I got into doing what I do is that I had people going out and finding it like they were growing it themselves or they found, you know, the old adage of find a guy, you know, a guy who knows a guy, which I do not recommend. (laughs) But I had people doing that and they were like, you know, I got five grams of mushrooms. What do I do? I'm like, not all of it. (laughs) Test it. Make sure that it's pure. I can give you some like testing sites to make sure that, you know, it's not laced with anything. And then you have to work with somebody. And that's why I got into doing what I do is because I'm like, okay, I'm not providing this to people, but they're going about it the old school way and finding it. So that's definitely an option (laughs) that I don't recommend. There are places, companies functioning out of decriminalized areas like Colorado and California and Canada, I think, that sell it online. That's also technically federally illegal. So if it's legal or decriminalized in the state, they might be able to sell it within the state. If they're shipping outside of the state, that's a federal felony. That said, Mm. it happens. Those are places you can find on Google. You want to make sure that they're, you know, again, they're safe and that they're practicing best practices, but it is still a bit of a challenge. One of the things that I recommend for some people is if you can find a research study that's currently studying psychedelics for whatever you have, whether it's anxiety, depression. I think there was one in Connecticut that was recruiting for migraines. That is a worthy option if you're interested in utilizing psychedelics see if there is a research study in your state or some place someplace close by where you can participate in that that might give you access and then psychedelic assisted therapy for people who want to take that route in states where it's legal in Rhode Island we have ketamine therapy so that is something that people can do as well the tricky thing is that not everybody feels like they need a psychedelic assisted therapist. They just want help with burnout and anxiety and stress. Like they're not digging into some of that deeper trauma. Mm-hmm. If you have unaddressed trauma, if you've never addressed it, you've never gone to therapy or you've done very little therapy and you decide that you want to use psychedelics, I highly recommend psychedelic assisted therapy because and trauma informed therapy because you don't just want to take a psychedelic and see what happens in those instances. But if you've done some of that internal work and you're like, you know, I'm struggling with late stage capitalism, I'm trying to control what I can, and I want some support with that, then you can do coaching. And it's just a matter of finding the safest opportunity for you to access what you're looking for. Okay. So what you're saying is it's either you find somebody in a state where it's legal in this country. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure in other parts of the world, it's different. Or you sign up for some sort of a research project where they're looking for participants. And that's what we have available to us today. If you have already done the inner work, you could potentially take a microdose on your own and maybe not work with a therapist, but work with the coach. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And there are therapists and there are coaches. You want to make sure that, again, the person that you're working with has a background medically, you know, dealing with psycho-emotional issues to help with that. Because even at microdose levels, that can bring up stuff that you do need to talk about. That's one of the sort of myths I think that we talked about dispensing is that microdosing psychedelics isn't as effective as large dose and you don't feel anything or it's not as intense. It still brings stuff up. So 
you know, yes, you can take a microdose yourself, but I still highly recommend working with somebody because you are still bringing stuff to the surface. You're taking it with the intention of not just feeling better. That's another one of the myths. You don't usually just take a psychedelic to feel better. It's not like an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety. You can take a psychedelic even at a microdose level and feel really good one day and you can take it another day and it will bring something up for you that you really need to process. And so not having the structure to be able to work that out with somebody who understands the psychedelic process and can help you do that work is ill-advised under the best of circumstances and can be dangerous. That's kind of like a therapy session where one day you go and you see your therapist and you come out and you feel amazing. And another time mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, my God, this sucks and my yep. life sucks and it's so hard and I can't take it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like you just never know how you're going to come out, but you yep. still show up every week to the yes. session. Yeah, right. Exactly. But you do it because you know that in the big kind of scheme of things, it will be helpful. There's a reason why you're there, you know, and without it you've got status quo and you want more, you want different. Right, exactly. And you know, the thing that I always remind myself when I'm going through things like that, this is a feeling, not a state of being. Yes. It's a moment in time. It's not who I am. And unfortunately, for as much as it pisses me off, this is where the growth is. The growth is in the discomfort, not the comfort. That's a great mantra. It's very grounding, I imagine. It is. And it's not that we want you to be uncomfortable all the time. (laughs) But, you know, that growth gets you to an elevated level of comfort that allows you to deal with the next hard thing that you can. And I also think that it's sometimes we become discombobulated when we are experiencing a negative emotion as if like this is going to take us down and, you know, you're going to survive it. So, Mm -hmm. as you said, it's temporary and there is potential opportunity in it for you. So it's really about how you frame the situation. Yeah, yeah. I've actually been listening to Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. I just started and I went all the way back to the beginning and her first episode. Okay, so her first episode is about what she calls FFTs, which is fucking first time, I think. And how we have so much nervousness and so much shame and so much like stress associated with trying something new for the first time, like because you're going to suck most likely. And you're going to suck a bit until you start to get better at it. But research has indicated that people who don't try, Mm -hmm. like their brain stops growing. Like we need that discomfort and we need that limbic friction to continue growing and evolving and being healthy. Like that actually helps us become healthier and become more resilient. And I think culturally, we've been so conditioned to want slash we perceive need comfort all the time. And it's like, seek discomfort in whatever form that comes in from time to time. There's value there. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is, you know, you were quote unquote trained to be this really self-reliant person. Mm -hmm. And that is a form of resilience, we could say. You know, like I can do anything I can, you know, I can just count on myself and pick myself back up and I'm strong. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good self image to have in, in a way. Um, however, the downside to overly relying on yourself is that you isolate mm-hmm. and that you push other people away. And I love that you used this opportunity to go inside yourself and find that what you really need is to be surrounded by other people. When it comes to burnout, 
I think a lot of times we're in that same kind of situation where we have just been relying on ourselves to achieve and accomplish and perfect and please and do all the things. And we've taken on so much that we feel just buried and we're exhausted. And I think there is a similar kind of parallel process going on where sometimes, yeah, we talk about self-care and all these things, but I think sometimes we also just need community, Mm -hmm. right? We need to be around other people that helps us feel less alone in the struggle Mm -hmm. and that we can support one another. So I say this because, you know, when I do my burnout program, sometimes I do one-on-one, but I often will convince people to do the group. And and sometimes I get some resistance to that. But I say, you know, in addition to getting me, you get all these other people in the group. And I think that's where really the magic happens. Mm -hmm right? Because you can see other people going through the struggle, you get to coach one another, right? And I think there's such power in hearing what other people are doing, rather than just like what your coach is saying. Well, and there's also in that sense of community, somebody may say something, and you recognize that in yourself. And mm-hmm. if you thought that you were very alone in feeling that and you're like, Oh, my God, it's not just me like that. Person exactly. Has a, a really parallel experience it bridges that gap between autonomy and isolation. You know, we want to be autonomous. We want to be functional. We don't want to be isolated. Exactly. So my question is when you're microdosing and you said, you know, it's connecting the different parts of your brain that aren't normally connected, or maybe they've gotten ruptured and gotten disconnected because of trauma. I would think that we're tribal beings and we're wired for connection. And yet, because of our circumstances, we end up becoming so self-reliant that we isolate a lot of the time. Would you say that one of the things that could happen for folks who are burned out and go on these microdosing trips is that they seek out more connection and they are consequently less lonely and can feel like they're part of something, which I think is also a big part of the other side of burnout too, right? Is like feeling like there's a sense of meaning and purpose in your life and like, right? So can you speak to that? Yes. And actually from a very personal experience, like that I was thinking about this weekend, part of what psychedelics has given me is a desire to connect with people more fully in my life because of the imposter syndrome and the anxiety. I have horrible social anxiety historically. Mm. And what psychedelics has given me is the ability to hold space for the discomfort that I feel going into a new situation with completely new people and say, I see you. I know what you're trying to do. I know you're trying to keep me safe. And also there's value in connection. So I'm going to let you stay here and feel as awkward as you need to be. And I'm going to go out and do that anyway. So I'm not invalidating what I'm feeling in terms of that social anxiety or awkwardness or imposter syndrome. I'm holding space for it while I still go do the hard thing. And something that I was really struggling with recently is that I've gotten so invested in creating connection. Again, connection and co-regulation, not codependence, that I have become infuriated with modern society. (laughs) Like the way that we live so independently and are encouraged to the, like I live by myself, I pay my rent, I pay all of my utility. I'm doing all of this stuff alone in a late stage capitalist society. And it's really hard to live that way. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to support oneself. And there are so many people doing this and we're encouraged to do this. We're not living communally the way that we used to. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's been very frustrating as somebody who has found connection and found the value in sort of more anthropologically aligned connection and how disengaged we are as a society from that concept. So I would say, yes, like psychedelics can bring that up. And I am just now almost like, I hesitate to say it like this because I don't want it to sound like psychedelics have not given me very good things, but I'm facing the consequences of that desire to return to more anthropologically appropriate connection and really not having the container for it, at least in the US. So I'm like, okay, how can I create this? I was talking to somebody on Friday. I'm like, we need to start a hugging club. Like just show up Friday evenings at some community center, sign in, and you don't have to talk about your problems. You don't have to do anything. Just hug, just hug. Very hard to do in post COVID. So like wear masks if you want to. Uh, But that type of community and that type of connection is something that we're very much missing. So Mm -hmm. yes, psychedelics can help with that. And that's why I also do group work with people. And I prefer, I think, that type of container for this type of work because it Mm -hmm. is such a community-oriented situation and psychedelics are so connecting. They connect us to ourselves. They connect us to the universe. You know, if you take a large dose, you go through what's called ego death, whereas the sort of perception of who you are, the story you've been telling yourself about yourself sort of dissolves and you do just feel part of something bigger and more meaningful and more universal. So yes, it absolutely can create connection and community. You do kind of have to go out and find it a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think it's by any accident that this has become your life mission, especially because you started with abandonment as the core wound. I mean, what you really desire underneath it all is connection. You want Mm -hmm. people to stick around. You want to be around them. You want to feel like there's that, you know, give and take. And so I think, you know, you were perhaps put on this planet for that exact purpose. And so I'm excited to see where you take this. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an exciting adventure, lots of revelations. I'm curious to see where it takes me to. Yeah. So for people who want to follow you and see where you go and uh, maybe they can come along for the ride, where should they go? I'm most active on Instagram. Courtesy of burnout, I have learned to not manage nine social media sites at once. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me and DM me there. I'm not as active posting. Most of my jackassery and information is posted on Instagram and you can follow me at the burnout, Witch. I like to blend education and comedy. So hopefully it's useful and entertaining. I'm on TikTok, but I'm a really bad millennial and I don't really do anything with it. So. All right. So we'll check you out there. Is there like a website that they should go to as well or? Yes, it's www.theburnoutwitch.com. I recently just launched a cohort of a microdosing educational course with supported group coaching or individual coaching if people want that. So it's a four-week educational course that discusses the tools and skills and information around microdosing. And for people who are interested in doing anything beyond that, I will do group or individual coaching for the additional four weeks after that. I just started that first cohort, but that is something that I'm going to be rolling out throughout the year. So if people are interested in doing that and you missed this one, which launched yesterday, I'll probably be launching another one, possibly in October. I don't like to run stuff like that during the holidays because mixing psychedelics for the first time and family holidays and stress and all of that, Mm. it's a really bad combo platter. So if I don't run one before the end of the year, I will be starting that again, probably mid-January or February. 
All right. So if you're listening to this, go find Eliza on social media, especially on Instagram. I'm sure I'm going to check you out too. I think uh, (laughs) anytime somebody combines anything with humor, sign me up for that. I love it. So thank you so much for being here. I certainly learned something and I'm sure all of our listeners did as well. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed talking with you. Now for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard. Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience and by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.